Hey, 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 this is Blended on the Bluff. Welcome to a faith-based conversation for blending step families. I'm your host, Jen Rogers. Each week, join me to glean new insights and learn best practices to blending your family so you too can leave an impactful legacy for your blend. This is season two. I am so excited about how season two is coming together. It's my pleasure to welcome author Megan Bottom to the bluff today. We had such a great conversation. In fact, it's long enough that we're going to break this podcast out into two separate weeks. So this first week, we're going to talk about the beginning parts of her book and really how it applies to living your life in a blended family. I quote from Megan, marriage is hard. Blended family marriages are harder. Welcome to the bluff, Megan. Hi, how are you today? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be with you. <laughs> I'm with you to talk about this book and share with people, whether they're in blended families or not, uh, this book is uh, a great revelation on the challenges that step families uh, encounter. And I know that even if you are not in a step family, I know you know someone who is in a step family. So I encourage you to listen along so that you can learn some of the hardships and challenges that step families face, that you hear the heart of a mother, a stepmother, a stepfather, a father, and that we are respectful of the kiddos. Because I think, Megan, after reading your book, I think you and I may be of the same opinion that when you first blend, you overlook the hurt and the challenges that the kids bring to the table. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's huge. And I'm glad that you said that if you're not a part of a blended family, you probably know somebody that is some of the statistics behind that today, seven out of 10 marriages bring a child into the marriage. So it's far better than five, 50%. We hear that statistic all the time, but it's, it's way surpassing that. So if seven out of 10 marriages one or the other partners in that marriage is bringing a child already into the home. It's so hard because we establish this bond in our marriage and we neglect the trauma and the hurt that the child has experienced. Yeah, that's, that's such a great point. And I'll tell you on my road. So you've been a stepmom for a little over a decade now. Yes, right? yes I have. And- and I'm over the five-year hump, so I'm in six years. And what I have learned is that if you make it past two years, you're doing pretty good. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and that step family marriages are a lot like dog years, right? That they feel much weightier and much longer. They feel like 2020, right? <laughs> right. So true. <laughs> uh, so um, I, I think for me, in the, especially in this last year, as I've really gone on this journey to be an entrepreneur and to share this wisdom and to help other blended families heal and develop plans and strategies for moving past the trauma and the hurt that everybody brings in and actually seeing that there is hope, that there is a future for them. And so um, I learned that I had just completely overlooked the hurt of the kids. I just didn't get it because I was so focused on my own hurt. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. And the decisions that we make in the beginning of our marriage, we we don't take into consideration how much our kids have been through when we make those decisions. 
Right, right. So they definitely didn't choose it. Uh, They are respecting the choice in whatever way they choose. Although oftentimes I know step parents would say it does not feel very respectful, uh, but they really don't have a choice because the grownups make the decisions and that um, there are, there are complexities to that. That's not good or bad. It's just a fact that the grownups are responsible for managing their families. And sometimes we just don't do it very well. And we we are going to make mistakes also. We are going to fail also. And a huge part of that is just admitting that to the children. You would be so amazed if you could go to the kids instead of, and I've learned this from experience because I'm so guilty of this, but if you can go to the kids instead of this attitude of superiority, like it's, it is this way because I said so, (laughs) and instead say, you know what, I might blow it. I might make some mistakes, but right now I see this as the best course of action. You would be so surprised is how, how much more buy-in you would have from the kids instead of just, you know, my way or the highway. I'm so stressed and I have all of this going on. Just coming to them and admitting, I really don't know what I'm doing either. I'm making the best decisions with what I have and I'm trying to do the best for you. And if I fail you in any way, please, let's just forgive each other. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that really takes us right to the opening chapter of your book about forgiveness. And so I just want to let our audience know the topics that we're going to cover. And we've already uh, decided that we know that this is at least two podcasts. It might be three. It might be broken out in three parts, but there's so much richness here to cover. And I'm going to outline the chapters of the book. And then if you would just share a little bit about your passion in writing it and what you hope to achieve by it. So in your book, you have these key areas. You have forgiveness, boundaries, protect the marriage, everything you do matters, pick your battles, and finding hope. Yes, yes. Those are them. So like you said, you know, having a home full of forgiveness, that first chapter, it's that's that's like the bedrock of what you can establish your home and family on. I always say forgiveness and grace always default there. That should be your first default because that's what Jesus's first default is, too. You know, it's it's so easy for us to assume the worst in people. But if we establish a home full of forgiveness and grace, it's amazing how freeing that is. Yeah. Yeah. And so that leads into your passion for writing this book. So share a little bit more about that and how this book came to be. (laughs) This book came to be through trial and error in many, many ways. Um, when Dwayne and I were first dating, we were reading through the Proverbs together. So every day there's 31 Proverbs and every day we would read, it was a long distance relationship. So it was one way that we could kind of study over the phone in a way that we can connect with each other. And he was reading the, the proverb that says, um, hope doesn't disappoint. And I remember telling him, and this just breaks my heart when I think about it. I told him, I hate hope. I had just come out of a seven-year marriage that I can't tell you who was at fault. I can't tell you that he or I were wrong. We had these three kids together that we were trying to figure out how to co-parent instead of parent together. And I immediately jumped into an abusive relationship. And it was horrific. And I, I, 
I could go into all the ugly details, but it doesn't matter anymore. But that relationship really jaded me because I had all of this hope of this is going to be the marriage that's going to work. This is going to be the relationship that's Christ centered that my first marriage didn't have all of this hope that this man was going to be everything that I needed. And he just disappointed me time and time and time again. So then I found myself now I really am having to deal with all of the feelings of hurt from my first marriage and this abusive relationship, trying to get out of that and figure out and clean up after that. And now I'm, I want to be hopeful for what Duane is going to offer me. And I want to have the hope that's talked about in the Bible, but the truth is I hated hope. Well, I hope that works out or I hope he doesn't hurt me again, or I hope he doesn't do it in front of the kids next time or all of the hope that we put so much into. I hope that my kids turn into great adults. I hope that my parents are proud of me. I hope all of these things, but the truth is that kind of hope is always going to disappoint. And that's what I was telling my husband. That's the hope that I hated. And he responded immediately. And he said, you don't hate hope. You don't know hope. And I knew from that point on that finding hope was going to be a book because I was going to start my journey of finding hope myself. So then fast forward a couple of years and we were messy and in the middle of this blended family. And I had all of these pearls that I knew that I needed to work through. And I really thought it was going to be two books. I was going to do a book about finding hope and the person of hope and the hope that can truly anchor our soul. And then I was going to do a book about blended families. And then one day I kept telling God, I don't have time to write. I don't have time to write. I just don't have time. And one day God woke me up at like three o'clock in the morning and he's like, you have time now. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote, I wrote like the first, probably three chapters and the whole outline and everything from three o'clock in the morning till probably 10 o'clock that morning. And I'm like, this is all one book. It's all coming together. I was so excited. Oh, wow. That, that is, um, such a great story. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. It makes me think of all of the excuses that Moses had when uh, God called him to go to Egypt. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was, stutter, right? Don't send me. <laughs> I was full of them. I call him my butt God. You know, I'm like, but God, I'm not a writer, but God, nobody will listen to me. And honestly, the biggest hang up for me was, but God, I don't even know if I know how to do this blended family. And that it was when he spoke to me. And I I don't want to say that I hear the audible word of God, but he really told me like, you need to get your butts out of my way. Like you'll, you are the stumbling block for all of these blended families. And I'm like, Oh, (laughs) so it was a huge revelation for me. And then again, my next excuse was, I just don't have the time. And God just miraculously made time in my life to be able to, to fulfill his calling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think about how we are so full of excuses and I think oftentimes they actually reflect our fear and I I can speak to that personally uh, from my experience in this year, just again, coming out to be an entrepreneur. Well, I I don't know how to do it, God. I don't know how to make all this stuff work and uh, banging my head against the wall. Just, I mean, it's exhausting because I'm, I'm just keep pushing and nothing is happening. And yet I'm here today on a podcast with you because we connected over a Facebook group uh, that 
we discovered we had a passion for blended families. And, and here we are, what, within a couple of weeks of meeting each other online for the first time. And so uh, there is a way. And, and so if you are out there in no matter what your stumbling block is right now, I'm going to encourage you to ask, is there some fear that is preventing you from moving forward? Because if there's fear, recognizing what the fear is first is the first step. We know that in order to get a good outcome, to get a solution to a problem, you first must be able to identify the problem. And would say in blended families, uh, we come to them thinking we have all this experience. We have this wisdom. We, we have already decided there are certain things that are never going to go down that way. And yet we've never been a step parent before, or we've never married someone and made them a step parent before. And so how could we really possibly know? We don't know what we don't know. And so we definitely go through the school of hard knocks. Oh my goodness. That is so true. When I marry, I always say that when I married Dwayne, I expected everything to blend beautifully. And really what happened is we collided. There was no blend. It was a big, nasty collision. (laughs) And I was so disappointed because I thought, you know, I'm a great, I am so good with kids. I love kids. Kids all love me. This is going to work out perfect. And little did I know what I was getting myself into. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that there are many step parents who can relate to what we're talking about. And I think that there are parents, if they're in a first marriage, that they can relate to that too, that, gosh, we thought maybe things were going to be different. And I think one of the important things to understand is that when we come to a marriage, we don't just come to the marriage with optimism and hope. We bring the rest of the luggage with us as well. The the, uh, generational curses, if there are some, the experiences or trauma that we may have endured through childhood, uh, false expectations, right? We don't, we don't know. Again, we don't know what we don't know. And so um, I guess that's where this hope comes in that when we place a hope in our own abilities, we know that we're disappointed. And I'll tell you, when I was reading your book, so Nana, it's Nana's Pearls. And I just, I, I just so enjoyed the writing. You know how when a song comes on the radio, well, we don't listen to the radio anymore, but you know what I mean? When a song comes on the radio and all of a sudden you start moving along, you tap your feet or you sing along, you get in the rhythm of it. And I found myself reading when I was reading what Tia was experiencing as a stepmom. I was like, uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. I get it. I get it. I get it. And when people were challenging her in her beliefs, when Nana was challenging Tia in her beliefs about what was really going on, I was, I was ready to defend Tia. I'm like, Nana, back off, (laughs) back off a minute, because this is really hard. Being a stepmom is really hard. You may not really understand this. It's really hard. Uh, So uh, it was, uh, it was affirmation too that, you will experience these things. These things that you are experiencing are normal. And yet there is a way out. And your book, as the story progresses, uh, we learn of the way out. We learn of hope. And so when we move from forgiveness, we go into boundaries. But before we go into boundaries, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add about sharing with the story or just forgiveness in general? 
You know, there I tell the story in the book very well of an analogy of a prison cell. And I, I've spoken about, about this publicly in several different scenarios of the analogy of the prison cell. And it's amazing when you when you're when you have somebody in a prison cell of unforgiveness, if you have them in the dungeon of your heart, is what I say, because you're not willing to forgive them. All of your interactions in day-to-day life are through those prison cells. You, as the person that's holding the grudge, is seeing everything from the darkness and the grossness of what a prison or a dungeon would look like. So it's so hard to see the joy. It's so hard to see the give people the benefit of the doubt when you're holding on so hard to that unforgiveness. I don't remember who sings the song, and I wish I could give him credit, but there's a line in a song that says, forgiveness is setting your prisoner free only to realize that the prisoner is you. And that's so important to realize you're not doing the person a favor by letting, by forgiving them. You're not doing the person a favor. You're not excusing their behavior. You're not making anything that they've done to you less hurtful. But what you're doing is you're freeing yourself from holding them responsible for it. And that is so big because it allows you to have that first instinct of grace and forgiveness, as opposed to having this jaded heart of everything that's done to me is done directly to me to hurt me. And that's that view. That's that cloud of what you're going to get in your prison cell or in your dungeon. Yeah. So that is one of the parts where I, I just cried when I was reading that and I have it uh, printed off here and I think I want to read it. Is that okay? If I read excerpts, please do. Uh, Okay. So this is when Nana is talking to Tia and Nana has brought up a lot of people that Tia had already thought she had forgiven or that she didn't see that there was a need to forgive them for. And so Nana was really challenging her in this scenario And so um, Tia says, Nana, you brought up some people I thought I had already forgiven. A lump in her throat threatened more tears. Every time you hear their names or are reminded of them in a situation, you remember everything about them that hurt you, Nana confirmed accurately. Being mad at somebody, holding a grudge and refusing to forgive is like being held captive by your own anger. Imagine taking somebody by the ear and dragging them down into the dungeon as your anger feels they deserve. You relegate them far away in the recesses of your heart where no forgiveness, no grace, and no light shines. You have cells there that are built to be strong and solid. You throw past hurts and beliefs about people and their issues into these cells, slamming the doors as hard as you can. While they're there, you believe they can no longer hurt you, but that's not enough. Everybody that passes through this dungeon has to hear about how awful these people were to you, why they deserve to be there. You have to stay there too, to make sure they don't escape and to ensure you don't miss an opportunity to tell a passerby all the wrongs your prisoners did. You're bound to get tired down there, standing in the cold and dark. So you make yourself a stool to sit on, guarding and protecting your prisoners and making sure they don't escape. Or worse, What if somebody comes by offering the key of grace to your prisoners? You have to make sure they don't get the key to be freed from the dark parts of your heart. Wow. (laughs) 
Yeah, it, it's it's so real and we see it all the time. And it breaks my heart when I hear the stories from people that have obviously been holding this grudge for so long. And and I hear it all the time in the couples that we work with. They 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 can name off issues and and their past. And it breaks my heart for them because what they're doing is they're they're telling me as a passerby, I'm justified in my anger. I'm justified in feeling this way. Who's the one that's stuck is what I want to ask them. Honestly, your prisoner is on the other side, enjoying the time away from the cells, enjoying the time away from the darkness, living their life. But you're the one that's holding you there in that dungeon, repeating the stories, telling every passerby, stopping the the key of grace from entering that cell. And you're just hurting yourself. And, And unforgiveness is this... It's like suicide. It's just continually hurting yourself is all it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so powerful and so well-written. And as a stepmom, I've been there. I've been the, I've been on the stool in front of the cells for sure. Wanting to scream out, but you don't understand. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced. You know, the divided loyalties that occur between kids traveling from one household to the next, the, um, initial animosity that's so easy to embrace from uh, the ex-spouse that is somehow in your home. While they're not physically there, they their presence is felt in your home. It's very real. And so I, I know I can only speak as a stepmom uh, and not as a stepdad. So I don't know what that feels like as a stepdad. Um, but I know that of all the things that my husband and I have conflict about, it's only about this, these blended issues. It's the other stuff. We handle that so well. And in your book, you had, you had talked about finding your soulmate. And I think that's why blended marriages, they're, they're like this starry-eyed love affair. And then all of a sudden they get sucked in this black hole because you were up here again, thinking this is going to be awesome. I, I know what's important to me now. And I know that I never want to get divorced again. I know that I'm, I am, I know the things that uh, I didn't take the time to learn in my first marriage. And so, uh, yeah, unforgiveness, all that to say unforgiveness, it's just a really, really tough place to be. And it does not serve you well, no matter the wrong that has been done to you. And there's been a lot of wrong that has been done. So hear me out there. If you're listening to this podcast right now, Megan and I understand that we understand that you've been hurt. We understand that what was done to you was egregious in some ways. We understand you may have experienced abuse. We understand that you may be living through some trauma right now. And that's why, frankly, we both coach, right? Because we have a passion for ministering to step families because we know it's hard because we've been there and we're, we, we've used the key of grace. I love that. That's such a great visual, Megan. Thank you for that and sharing Uh, in your book and here on the podcast. So there is definitely a key of grace and we just need to decide if we're going to use it or not. Right. Right. Yes. Um, Chapter one is it's, this is a fictional story. Um, I use non-fictional ideas to, to get the point across, but chapter one is probably the one that I can relate to the most. Chapter one was the hardest for me to write because a lot of the stories that happen in chapter one are true to my life. Um, I, I, I have, I don't think she's read it, but the, the, the story in the beginning of the chapter is actually my oldest daughter. That event actually happened. 
that whole process actually really did unfold exactly how I told it with my oldest daughter. And actually it's my oldest stepdaughter. When, when we were just even a year into our blended family, this, this scenario played out. And when I think of how much my dungeon skewed everything and how bitter I was and how mad and angry I was about everything. I couldn't even relate to my 12 year old stepdaughter and give her the key of grace because I had learned so long that, that this is where I belong. You need to go into another cell because I am here and I need to keep an eye on you too. (laughs) And so chapter one was the hardest for me to write because it probably was the hardest pearl for me to understand and for me to grasp. And honestly, that's the first thing that we address in all of our coaching and is forgiveness. And, you know, the, a lot of pastors and public speakers will say, if you want an emotional response from people, speak on forgiveness, because you're always going to get this emotional altar call and all of the things. And that's never been my goal. I don't want an emotional response. I want a changed heart. I want truly a soft, softened heart. And for you to be able to understand what the key of grace is going to be able to do for your life. So it's hard to not try and pinpoint where you need to forgive in order to get an emotional response from you, because it doesn't, it needs to be real. It needs to be far deeper than emotions. Yeah. And I, and I think here's, I I don't know if this is your experience or not. This is what I have experienced that people in blended families don't think of hiring coaches. They don't think of step family professional development. (laughs) And yet uh, as a certified public accountant, I'm required to have professional development. Right. And so it's not unusual for me to think about that. My husband, it's the same thing with his credentials. He needs professional development. So we readily make that investment to keep up our quote unquote credentials And if we took our role as a stepmom or stepdad at the same level as our business and said, we want to get quote unquote credentialed in step families, we would go and seek coaches and we would go invest in those so that we can see the path. Because when you first get in it, you just simply cannot. There's no way that you know. I think you you are shocked at the transition right? You, again, it goes back to unrealistic expectations. I think we have when we get married. And so if you're out there, uh, I don't know all of uh, Megan and her, and her husband, Dwayne's coaching opportunities out there. Uh, I know the coaching opportunities I have, it doesn't, we are not here to promote hire either one of us. What we are here to promote is to seek wise counsel. And the best way to do that is to find someone who has who understands blended families, who has experience with blended families. And for those of you out there who may have children or you yourself who are experiencing actual trauma, then you need a different kind of help. So there may be two tiers of help. So coaching, if you think about coaching, it's more along the lines of you've, you're, you're in practice and you're, Uh, lining up the place, right? That the coach is going to give you some plays to go and take. And there will be honestly times that that play is not the right play, or you might pick the wrong one out of the playbook instead of a different play. And it's no different than any other game, if you will, in the sense that you stay in it to win it. And I know that we're going to get to this point uh, further on in the podcast, staying in it to win it means staying married to your spouse 
honoring your spouse and investing in your marriage first. And so again, I just want to encourage you to find resources and take the time so that you can you can find the key of grace so that, and not just find it, but choose to use it, right? Cause we get to choose. So first there's the awareness. Oh my gosh, things are so crazy. Uh, oh my gosh, I might need a guide. Uh, oh, wow. I've realized that there's some stuff here that I need to work through forgiveness. And now I know that there's a key, but my hand is shaking as I'm reaching for the key to put it in the lock because I don't know what happens because I might get hurt again. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you explained that. My husband always says that, um, we spend money on our vehicles. We spend preventative maintenance money on our vehicles. We spend money on even the vehicle itself. We make monthly payments, or if you, you know, are a smart investor, you've paid it all off and, and you own your vehicle and we spend money on our homes and we do preventative maintenance on our homes and on our houses, but we don't invest that in our marriage or in our relationships. And it's so important to be able to say, you know what, I have somebody on my side and, and I've had to say this too. I've heard this so many times that let us have enough hope for your marriage until you don't, until you do, you might not have hope right now, but I can carry that hope for you. I can be the one that can see the tunnel at the other side. I can be the one that can tell you, I promise you the other side of this tunnel is going to be amazing. I can be the one that can hold that hope for you. And so can Jen. And it's such an amazing thing when you can say, I am in, I am making the decision that this is important enough for me to invest in. Because then something even in your head changes that, that this is an important enough commitment that I'm going to invest my resources, time, financial, all of my resources. And something, you, you pay attention when you pay. And I don't know what it is, but we're expected to go through our life with all of these things. We pay attention to our vehicles. We pay attention to our house because they're expensive. But the most richest resource that you have is your marriage. So you need to pay attention to that. And whether it's, I don't know how much your courses are or what you, what your coaching program is, but if you're working with Jen and you pay her, you're going to start paying attention. It's just, it's even if you don't do the work that she gives you, even if you don't do that, you're going to start paying attention to your marriage. And that's so important because you pay attention what you pay for to what you pay for. Yeah, that's exactly true for sure. And we have, when we pay for something, we have an expectation of some sort of outcome. So I'm going to use the car uh, analogy that you described. So we've paid for the upkeep of the car. So I'm telling you, when I open the garage door, I want to be able to back out of my garage. So that means I'm expecting my car to turn on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so the reason that I know is because I've been taking care of it. And so I, I know that um, there, there have been many times that I have not appreciated uh, the challenges that my husband faces in dealing with me responding to being a stepmom. <laughs> there are many times that I have not been very helpful uh, and in fact have made things difficult for him, I know. And yet uh, he is an epitome of grace towards me and has uh, he makes me better. And when you're in a marriage where you expect the other person to make you better, where you know that that they've got you no matter what. Now, they may be angry with you over something, but at the end of the day, they've got you and, and they love you and they are for you. And my husband used to tell me that all the time, Jen, I am for you. God has told me to love you. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
let me focus on my stuff here. Not don't be talking to me about that. I want to focus on my pain, right? Because this is what's going on right now. And I want you to know it. (laughs) (laughs) I always tell my husband, I forgive you because I have to, and eventually I'll want to, but right now I forgive you because I have to. And it's so true to know that you have somebody else that's willing to grab your hands and say, we're going to make this work. That's just so freeing. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, When my husband and I first got married, I remember our first fight. So um, he had, he had, we had, he had gone to bed and I was not going to go to bed because of course I didn't want to sleep next to him. And we all know that take up that little inch sliver of the bedside, right? Because you don't want to touch because you can't be sending any mixed messages here. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to try to go to bed. And I went to bed and I just didn't want anything to do with him. And so I got up and I went and I remember sitting in the dining room and I turned the light on low and I looked at the clock and I remembered, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I had, you talked about the, but gods. I had so many, but, 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 but what about this? And what about that? And, and this is so hard and all of these things. And so 11 o'clock rolls around, 11 p.m. rolls around. Like, you know, I'm not supposed to let the sun set on my anger. How is it that he can be in bed and sleep and be just fine? This is so not with it. He should be up. He should be meditating on this scripture. He should be concerned about all of these things, right? He should, should, should. And the should is really get you, I know, <laughs> because it's blame and deflection, right? And so I remember about 11.45, somewhere around there, I was thinking, well, Jen, you got 15 minutes left. What choice are you really going to make? And so 11.58, I woke him up and I apologized, even though I didn't feel like it, even though I felt as though he was the one I knew that this marriage was different and that this man was different and that my knowledge was different. I knew more and I understood the woman that God was calling me to be in this marriage, the wife that he was calling me to be. And uh, that was no, you may think, well, that wasn't a big deal, but it was no small deal for me to acknowledge that even though I didn't feel a certain way, I knew what God was asking me to do. I knew what his word says to do and uh, going through making that decision to do it. And I think that really ties into one of my many soapbox issues, which is your feelings lie, right? Your feelings do not reflect truth and um, they're easy to get caught up in, especially when you're dealing with stepkids, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, that is so true. And to me, you know, I, I'm famous for this quote to my kids. I love you, but I don't like you right now. That's such a truth, isn't it? I love you, but I don't necessarily like you right now. (laughs) If you've lived with anybody for more than 30 seconds, I think you probably can relate to that statement. And most certainly if you're a parent, whether you're a step parent or not, we definitely know that there is a difference between liking and loving. Loving is a commitment. Loving is a decision. 
liking or not liking, that's more based on the circumstantial situations, the things that you are experiencing, the feelings that you're having. And we all have the responsibility as parents, blended parents, grandparents, all parents have the responsibility to teach our children how to manage these feelings in a way that is aligned with the commitment to love one another. I had so much fun with Megan on this podcast. It's actually broken out into two different pieces. So I can't wait to bring you next week's portion as we continue our conversation about the challenges that we face when we blend families together. I pray this week that you have an amazing week and that you identify those ways that you are committed to loving those people in your family, whether or not you like them. Please subscribe to Blended on the Bluff and encourage other blended families to listen in and subscribe. And finally, if you are an adult step kid, I would love to talk to you. Could you email me at hello at stepfamilypodcast.com? Hello at stepfamilypodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you and have an opportunity to invite you to the podcast to share the insights and wisdom that you have acquired that you can share with blended parents so they understand some of the challenges from the stepkids perspective because it's really tough all the way around, right? We know it's tough. So I would love to hear from you.